Great. Thanks, guys. And good morning again, everyone. Uh, welcome to Hiawatha. If you walked in late, missed my first introduction. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're in the Gospel of John right now, preaching-wise, and are going to be preaching from John 21, 1 to 14. If you uh, like to follow along in a Bible or a phone app, please feel free to do that, but it'll all be on screen here. Uh, per the usual as well. Um, But to remind you where we are in the story, we're towards the end. We have three weeks left, actually, in this series that's taken a year and a half uh, to get through. Um, But the resurrection of Jesus has just happened. Jesus has appeared to Mary Magdalene, that first Easter morning ever, and then to the disciples a couple of times. Uh, But we find out when we read these post-resurrection appearances of Jesus that Jesus wasn't always with them after that. I mean, physically so. He would appear and disappear at will. And so the disciples, even though everything has now changed, the, the world will forever be different because of the resurrection, we're, we're still left with the question, well, what do we do now after they saw Jesus? And one of their answers to that question uh, was apparently, I guess we'll just go back to work because uh, we have to make a living. Uh, we'll go fishing. Um, which I, I think is probably one of the worst case of the Mondays ever. You know, if you think about, like, you know, the, the weekend of the death and resurrection of Jesus, and then, oh, I guess we'll go back to work. Uh, but it's what happened. And, uh, but to put it another way, maybe a bit more positively, the climax of the story and of history itself has just occurred, and yet life goes on. And that's not to downplay the resurrection, but to show how it impacts life now how it impacts real people with mundane lives like us. And all along, to further underscore what the gospel of Jesus Christ is and what it isn't, and to make much of Jesus in the process. All right, so let's, let's read from John 21, 1 to 14. I'll, I'll stop halfway to make a couple of comments, but mostly just reading this here in full to begin. Uh, Breakfast with Jesus is today's uh, title from, again, John 21, 1 to 14. All right, verse 1. After Jesus appeared, uh, sorry, afterward Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. All right, so... Uh, Stop there for one second. So in in good storytelling fashion, uh, John is just setting the stage here. Uh, Some of the disciples went fishing, quite simply. But then he also identifies the conflict, or you could say the figurative antagonist, which is they caught no fish. That's the problem. And like all good stories, there's a surprise or a twist to it as well when you remember that these are professional fishermen. Not all the disciples were, but many of the disciples were pros at this, and they're the ones who are not catching anything. So it's kind of a shock or a bit of a surprise. It was to them, should be for us as readers as well. And so kind of keep that in mind as we keep reading here uh, today. But I want to point out verse 1 where it says uh, the phrase, it happened this way. This tells us that the manner by which Jesus appears matters, and it teaches us theology. Uh, This is the Bible's way of saying More important than the what is the how. More important that Jesus appeared is how and kind of why he appeared. Uh, This is what John is getting at here. Uh, So symbolically, but also just kind of plainly, it'll teach us some things about Jesus that maybe some of you are hearing for the very first time in your life 
or for the millionth. And either way is great. Uh, but the Bible is going to underscore a lot about the person and the character, the love and the work of Jesus in how this story transpires. All right, kind of, so kind of have all of that in your mind as we um, finish reading here today. All right, verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed and saw a fire of burning coals uh, there with fish on it and some bread, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 But even with so many uh, fish, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Okay, so... um, what we normally like to do is walk through things in a bit of a nuanced way here because Scripture does that uh, pretty clearly, sometimes more implicitly, but there's lots of layers to this. There's just uh, lots of nuance, especially with John, who at this point in the gospel, if you've been with us, you have hopefully seen this, but John loves symbolism and allegory and utilizing that to teach us things uh, about the physical Christ, but also the one who is uh, king and lord of the spirit. Uh, as well, and, and really of all things. And so, um, so I want to start with um, some kind of plain reading uh, observations to start, and we'll kind of go from there. Um, but the first is this idea of kind of coming full circle, uh, a ministry metaphor. So I think on one level, this, this uh, story, metaphorically, is a callback, or kind of like a second bookend, to when Jesus told the disciples that they would be fishers of people. Uh, Matthew 4.19 Uh, says when Jesus is calling some of his disciples to himself for the first time, he says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. So he's uh, using their profession as a metaphor for what their future lives will look like as apostles and pastors post-resurrection. He's saying, I want you to continue to fish, but it's going to look different now. When you preach my gospel, you will fish for men. You will pull them from the sea of their sin and from the abyss of death. That's what's going to happen when you, you and your followers, essentially any Christian that does this, this kind of like spiritual fishing is, is going to happen. It also helps to know that oceans and seas are metaphors for judgment and chaos and death in the Bible. And so pulling you know, fish out of the sea in nets is like physically bad for the fish, right? But metaphorically speaking, it's good for people like us who are being saved and pulled out of bad things, pulled out of chaos, pulled out of death, pulled out of hell, pulled out of just not being where God is. That's really what the gospel is and what Jesus is actively doing, uh, whether it's through his church and people or apart from them. And we'll talk a bit more about that later. The broader encouragement, though, uh, I think for 
Any Christian who continues in the ministry of the apostles when we might fish for the lost or when we evangelize or pray for conversions or just feel crushed that our kids or parents or friends or coworkers aren't saved yet and labor in ministry to win people to the faith, the, the encouragement here, to stick with this metaphor, is that in John 21, we see without Jesus, we catch zero. But with him, everything, everything and anything is possible. And I don't mean that too binarily. The, the point to that is not to despair over uh, seasons where we don't see any conversions and then we wonder if we're the problem because we said something wrong or we did something um, a little too much by our strength or we tried to fish on the wrong side of the boat. Um, the point is not to despair uh, over that as though it's really ultimately about us because it isn't. The point is to be encouraged that all of the work is in Jesus' hands. That's, that's the point. Every portion or part of evangelism, uh, whether we're actively a part of it or not, it, it's ultimately the work is completely uh, in his hands. So whether we see conversions or not, we can't control it ultimately. All we can do is preach the gospel, share good news, love people like Christ first loved us, pray like everything depends on God, and trust him for the catch. Uh, is why I said earlier, if you were here for the, the, most of you were, but for the child dedications, uh, one of my encouragements for um, parents, but for all of us, uh, in a way, is our kids' salvation is not ultimately up to us. You know, or to, to say it more uh, strongly, you have no control, no control over whether your kids believe or not. Isn't that like the worst and best thing you've ever heard at the same time. It's like for, for control freak people like me or maybe most of you, that's kind of hard to hear. Uh, as a parent myself, some days I feel like I kind of want control because I want them to be saved or I want, you know, I, I want them to know the gospel. Um, but then when I stop and think about it, I'm like, that's like the worst thing. Like the last thing my kids need is for me to be in control of that. Let's like train wreck central. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's what they need and what I need as a parent is to know that Jesus is Stronger than me, wiser, he, he loves them more than I do, he's pursuing them, and, uh, and so that drives me to my knees uh, in, in prayer. And I, so I encourage you parents in that. I mean, some of you parents maybe are on the other end of things where you're, you're, maybe your kids have left the house and they've left the faith, um, and you, you're worried that you did something wrong. And let me just say to you, if that's where you're at, um, or this might be a friendship thing too or something in a different setting, but if that's where you're at, I, I hope this relieves you of that. Like, don't, don't look back in your notes and say, oh my gosh, I said the when I should have said uh, you know, or something, and that's why they're not a Christian. Like, no, don't, that's not, you have no control. No control. Um, God might use you or he might work in spite of you, but he never saves because of you. Does that make sense? It's never because of anything you do. He might go through you and, and use you, or might not at all. Um, but it's never because of us, never because of us. And I think that actually gives us liberation to take risks. Um, you know, if, if you think that someone's salvation is up to you, you probably won't share the gospel with people that much because you're worried you're going to screw it up. And, uh, but if you're okay with grace, <laughs> which is like, I mean, no one really is. We're all on a journey to understand grace better, but still, 
the more we're okay with grace, the more we'll take risks and realize that if we're used at all, it's in spite of ourselves. It's, it's through a, a bad, imperfect evangelistic appeal, uh, you could say, that God just decides to save some. That's actually kind of a uh, paraphrase of something Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians. It's through the foolishness of what we preach that God just decides to save some. Preaching is foolish, humanly speaking. But God still decides to save some, so no one can take credit, but only he gets the glory and all of the recognition of control. Okay, now, uh, what I want to do is take all of what I just said and bracket that to the side. Uh, Because it's good, but not great. It's a part of what's going on here, but not the main thing. Uh, There's something even more important going on here, a broader truth, you could say, um, that applies to evangelists and non-evangelists, to parents and non-parents, to um, fishermen and non-fishermen, figuratively speaking, uh, literally too. Um, But it's a broader truth that I think pokes at us um, a a little bit, and I'll talk about this, but to get a good sense for it, it, we need to replay Jesus and the disciples' verbal exchange from shore to boat uh, in our minds. And so, remember, after they tell Jesus, who they don't realize is Jesus at this point, it's still too dark. It's like dawn or pre-dawn. They can't quite tell who it is, 100 yards away anyway. Um, but after they tell Jesus that they have not caught any fish, Jesus shouts from shore, uh, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. Uh, and <laughs> you've got to like, again, put yourself in the place of some of you are fishermen, maybe some of you are not. Um, I'm actually not, except when Nick Gundale takes me out and I don't catch anything, but what Nick does, he's the Jesus figure, I guess, in my life. But, um, the, the, uh, but put yourself in this place because you've got to wonder if there is maybe a little bit of snarkiness or frustration and, and skepticism here on part of the disciples when they hear this mysterious figure from the shore shout this out because everyone loves it when other people tell them how to do their jobs, right? Like, man, that just, oh, you know, just warms the soul, uh, especially when it's a ridiculous suggestion. Oh, sure, random guy on the shore, we'll try the other side of the boat. Um, how do we not think of that? Uh, it, this would be like a, a grandmaster at chess having a losing stretch, and then someone saying, have you tried playing on the other side of the board? Like, I mean, that's how this works, right? Or maybe an IT professional working on a computer, and they can't figure it out, and someone walks in, and they say, you should, like, sit on that side of the table and see if that helps at all. It's like, yeah, that's not really how any of this works. Uh, but sure, just so you can see how ridiculous of a suggestion that was, I'll humor you. I'll throw the nets over there. And so they do it, and the rest is history. But what I want you to see is the range of emotions the disciples went through here in how Uh, It starts with confusion, frustration, some snarkiness, some pride, because that's how grace starts to poke at us uh, when we we come to understand it and continue to understand it as Christians every day. Our work produces nothing. Jesus' work produces everything. This is partly what John, John 21 is showing. Uh, There is no sharing with God when it comes to the things of salvation. There is no assisting God, helping him, 
meeting God in the middle when it comes to the work of salvation or really anything else in the Christian life. Uh, the, the Bible is unashamedly either or when it comes to this. Either we trust in ourselves and that leads to despair and, and annihilation and distance from God or we trust in him and receive him and live out of his work with freedom. If you want to put numbers to it, uh, John helps here. Uh, Grace is 153. Our best effort is zero. Uh, It it is a blowout victory for grace when positioned against our moral prowess. Or as John says earlier in chapter 6, the spirit gives life, the flesh, by that he means our effort, morally speaking, our abilities, our strength, counts for nothing. Like this isn't, uh, and again, the, the, the story here shows us this. It wasn't, the disciples didn't catch 12, 12 fish and then, the, and then Jesus helped them catch 141 for that random weird number of 153. Um, it, it's, it's, it's not like that. Uh, it's 153 versus zero. It's either Jesus saves you and ongoingly so completely and we recognize this and come to terms with this, even though we don't never perfectly do, but this, we struggle with this, um, or we reject it outright. Uh, but you can't really accept the, 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 the squishy middle. We are saved and kept saved by him calling out to us from the shore, calling us friends when we're enemies, and bringing us who are far apart from him close by his atoning blood. That's the gospel every day. That's not the gospel of your conversion. And then the math kind of changes a bit to where now you contribute. That's the math of your salvation every single day. Either it is or it isn't. Uh, Again, the the Bible is uh, very binary here. It's very either or. Uh, There is no squishy middle uh, to this. And that's why it's so stark. It's nothing and 153. It's not, and they caught a few fish, but were disappointed with the light catch. And then Jesus helped bring in a bunch of others. Um, it's, it's meant to shock us. It's meant to detox us from our legalism. Uh, all of us are uh, in different ways and places. Uh, we're, we're detoxing from thinking that we can contribute to our salvation. Uh, and, and, um, and the grace is the only medicine. It's, it's the only counter drug that, that will do it. And so these stories like this help contribute and serve as that, that type of, of counter drug. All right, third, third category I'll just call breakfast with Jesus like I called the whole sermon. This is from verse 7. But remember how the story goes. Um, in the boat, John figures out it's Jesus, tells Peter, and then Peter jumps in the water to make a swim for it because he wanted to see Jesus that badly. Um, now, if you think about the imagery of this whole story and kind of what's going on here, to the question, visually, what do you think that looks like? To me, it looks like Jesus is fishing for Peter from shore, doesn't it? He calls out, Peter is hooked by the fact that it's Jesus, he's thrust in the water, he jumps in, swims to shore, you could say he was reeled in ultimately by by love. Not just, not his love, ultimately for Jesus, though it's a part of it, but reeled in by Jesus' greater love for him. Uh, Matthew 13, 47 says, uh, Jesus speaking, it's a parable, 
the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. This is symbolic. This is clearly talking here about people. Like God's kingdom will be about catching people in despair and bringing them close to himself. Uh, in a sense, Jesus is the net uh, in, in this metaphor. He is what catches us. It's not, moral, it's not Jesus' moral teachings that are the net. It's not his way of life. It's not his marching orders. It's just Jesus and his death and resurrection that serves as that kind of encapturing, saving uh, type, type thing. And so, but you see Matthew here talk about God catching people uh, here ultimately too, like I kind of mentioned before. So, uh, like so often in biblical narrative, we see that in this, in this story, the thing the passage is saying at face value isn't really the thing it's ultimately meaning to say. This is sometimes what makes Bible interpretation difficult. But we see here that John 21 isn't really about fish. It's about people. It's about us. It's not about fishermen. It's about Jesus. It's not about a catch. It's about salvation. It's not about the other side of the boat. It's about the principle of grace, God's grace, over and against our contributions, over and against our religious works. It's not even about some kind of reductionistic moral lesson about how devoted we are to Jesus. I don't know if you guys have heard this, um, this teaching about this passage before or not, but I'm guessing some of you probably have heard this passage taught in a way that makes the point to be like Peter and to love Jesus so much that you'll do anything for him, even risk getting your clothes wet or even jumping in the water and swimming to him, unlike the bad, lukewarm Christians who stay in the boat. You know, don't be like them. Like, jump in the water and, and go after and chase and, and pursue Jesus. Um, but that's a terrible interpretation of this passage. This, this passage has something much better to say to us than that. This is a story about Jesus coming to us. I mean, why is he on the shore at all? This is about Jesus reeling us in with a call of grace. Not unlike Laz uh, Jesus called into Lazarus' tomb. Remember the story in chapter 11 and brought out a dead man? Let me ask you, do we praise Lazarus for walking out of the tomb? Do we praise him for that? In the same way, we should never praise Peter for jumping in the water. It's the exact same thing. Jesus is the hero here, not us. And Jesus is just as much the savior of John and Nathaniel and James and all the men who stayed in the boat as he is Peter. There is no distinction based on our works and what we think our level of devotion is. Does it say that? It's gloriously absent, you guys. It's his devotion to us, his pursuit, his love. Even right now in this very room, it's so much less about you than you think. And I know all of you are in different places here. I'm speaking to a very broad audience. But wherever you are, this canon should be applied. You should assume that you think, sal that you think salvation has more to do with you than it should. And that's not raising the white flag, saying I'm, I'm a bad Christian or I'm immature. It's, it means you're normal. It means you're a normal person who just needs to hear that you're loved and, and constantly pursued uh, in, in spite of your sin. And, and that's why it's, 
it's important things to understand as we come to terms with how this is our story too. John 21 is. Like Peter, we are called. We're called from the abyss of despair and sin. Not when we're worthy of it, but even when we're stubbornly pushing back against grace, like the disciples are in the boat, trying so hard to catch salvation ourselves. And in that way, committing a grievous sin, it's the worst of sins actually, is to reject God's grace. But look what it says elsewhere in Romans 5. While we were still sinners, that's when Christ died for us. And so we're, we're left here in the story with this final image, and this is what I love about this, of Jesus just inviting sinners to breakfast. Uh, we, we say this often here, um, how we need to let the Bible inform for us who Jesus is, because left to our own devices, we will always get it wrong. And, um, and this is one of those places where, is this who you think he is? Like, is he this kind of savior? Does he want to be with you? Or do you think he's kind of just tolerant of you? Um, putting up with, with your whatever, you know? Um, and this is, this is a story that's a microcosm. Uh, we're the disciples, and Jesus is Jesus. And because of what he did for us in paying for our sins, we can have this kind of relation. We do have this kind of relationship with him. Uh, Jesus inviting sinners to breakfast. I was watching um, or reading actually uh, a weather forecast from a local meteorologist a couple of weeks ago when it was raining. And he said on his little blurb, he said, um, I love a rainy morning sometimes. No pressure to save the world today. Just a good day to be lazy after a busy week. And um, I like read that a second time and I thought, it's actually really insightful. Uh, it's probably why deep down a lot of us like an unplanned rainstorm sometimes. I don't know if you guys like, like them like I do. Um, even if it cancels plans. Someone actually just told me recently that canceled plans are like uh, crack for millennials. Is that true? Uh, I'm on this side of Gen X, so I don't know. But uh, maybe for you guys who are that, uh, that age. But even if it cancels plans... It, it, it drives us indoors. It takes the pressure off. It stops us from working. Uh, and, and even has the power to get us over ourselves uh, a little bit. And um, I think this is why it was so dark and stormy and earthquakey when Jesus died on the cross because the cross was the loudest demonstration ever of you don't have to save the world today. This is why this is not our vision as a church is to save the world um, we try not to be that arrogant. Um, it's, it's not on us. Uh, you don't have to save the world today because Jesus is, uh, or ever because Jesus has. And it's okay to go home. And, you know, I think that's not the only way to describe what the Christian life will look like, of course, but it's a massive part of it that's easily forgotten. Now, I say all this to say a charcoal fire isn't that different from a rainstorm. Uh, like the disciples, the gospel calls us away from our work to rest with him on shore. Uh, and notice in the story, he's the one who does everything. He enabled the catch, he stoked the fire, he cooked the meal, and he served the food. In other words, he incurred the suffering uh, in, in the story. And so that we can say, no more pressure to save the world today, and no more pressure to save ourselves or to make ourselves look better 
as Christians to prove to God our devotion or our worth, but it's okay to be a mess, and that's where the good life is found. We can own our mess and continue constantly receive from the stream of his catching and, and saving and encapsulating uh, love. That's the gospel according to John 21. In fact, uh, to twist the metaphor a little bit here, Jesus is like the fish as well. We already know he's like the bread given at breakfast. He's made that clear earlier in the Gospel of John. Whenever you see bread in the Bible, by the way, just a little hint here, uh, whenever you see bread, think Jesus. Jesus is always in the stories of bread all throughout the Bible, both Old and New Testament. We know that in this breakfast, he is the bread, broken, his body being broken, that we might be nourished, but he's also in the fish. He's also like the fish. Uh, Jesus is like a fish who was caught and uh, dragged to the hill of the cross that we might be spared and fed and nourished at the charcoal fire of his grace. And so, however you see it, Jesus is showing himself to be this, but also being this. He's, he's, he's showing himself to be the, the incurrer of suffering, but also actually incurring, suffer, incurring actual suffering, whether in small or big ways, metaphorical or actual Jesus isn't asking us to suffer for him. Uh, you know, if, if Jesus said, I want you to make me breakfast, that, that could totally twist Christianity into something different. But it's extremely significant that Jesus here is chef, is servant, is host, uh, is um, in the enabler of, of the catch. So Peter can't even say, yeah, I got the fish for breakfast. It's like, only because I said so. Um, and, and Peter needed to know that. Like, we all need to know that. Um, but please don't miss this. This is, this is the big thing. Jesus incurs suffering that you and I might be saved. And he loves us because true love can't exist without suffering. It, it just can't. You can say you love someone. If you don't in some way suffer for them, you just don't. You just don't. And, uh, and we all don't uh, because we're all bad lovers the best of us are, the, are bad. We, that's, just, that's the reality. But God is perfect. God is love, which means God is a sufferer for those he loves, period. And he doesn't, he doesn't put high expectations back upon our shoulders for what that must mean now for our life. Um, Christianity should be a, a religion of low expectations, not high. Um, low. High expectations on God. But, but low for us. And I, and I think a lot of church cultures have very high expectations and it's suffocating. It's unbiblical, first of all, but it's suffocating. And it's a misconstruing of the one-way love of God. And it usually leads to lots of depression and despair and um, worse, uh, completely wandering from Jesus uh, um, outright. Okay. Let me uh, just close uh, by saying this. Um, I'll just summarize this. I said this earlier, but one of the big things I want you to see in this passage is how Christianity takes us through a wide range of emotions. Uh, it is a movement from frustration to grace to joy to rest. So four things. Frustration, grace, joy, and rest. So frustration in realizing we can't do it and our best efforts aren't enough, nor are they needed. Then to grace, though, in realizing someone else has done it for us. And then to joy in being able to know who that person is 
and we jump in the water to be with him. And then rest in having breakfast with him without any precondition, any high expectation, any precondition attached to it, both now and forever. That is Christianity. That's true, unadulterated, John 21, gospel-centered, Jesus-honoring Christianity. Um, And so I would say to all of you, Christian or not, receive that. Uh, Receive it into your life. Believe it. Uh, Be joyful over it, that it's true and it's never-changing and uh, always increasing in its glory and its consolation. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Uh, Thank you for ultimately uh, what it says about you. Uh, Though we're in the story, uh, we need a net. Uh, We need someone to come after us. We need an ultimate fisherman. Uh, We need someone to call to us from the shore that even though we're far from you and considered enemies of God, we're just declared friends uh, out of left field uh, but because you died for us, God. You sent your son to die for us and to purify us and uh, to give us a place at your table like an adopted son or daughter. Um, That happens completely by your will. Uh, Forgive us for all of our attempts at thinking that we can either add to that or subtract from it. Forgive us for thinking that our sin uh, will make you want to rip it away uh, or that our acts of righteousness or uh, obedience, whatever that means, uh, will somehow turn your head and make you more happy with us. Uh, Forgive us for those grievous sins Uh, And help us just to be creatures again, just people who are loved, who are made by God, remade by the Holy Spirit, and we believe, and just love just because we're loved. Um, It's by grace we're saved, and it's by grace we're sanctified, and it's by grace we we persevere. Um, There's no interruption with that equation, and we thank you for that. Um, Help us to sing enjoy that our God was an incurer of suffering for us that that we might be saved. Uh, Help us to sing and have life out of that work of yours, not ours, but yours uh, this week. Amen.